Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, this morning we are in uh, week five on this series we've been doing on the generous life. We only have two more weeks, this week and next week. And then uh, two weeks from now, we're gonna launch into a sermon series in the book of James. And I, I'm excited about it because uh, James is such a practical book of how do you live out this faith that we've been called to. But I've really been energized. This series we're in right now, I, I'm so excited about it. Even as we've been talking pretty directly about a subject that we often avoid. And if you're brand new here, maybe this is your first week. I'll just go ahead and let you know we're in this series. And last week and this week in particular, we're talking about giving. So just direct with it. Now there's no pledge card. There's nothing we're asking of you if you're visiting with us. But if you're here, if you're visiting, maybe, maybe you don't even have a relationship with Christ. You go, yeah, I'm, I'm on journey. I'm glad you're here this week because you need to hear that we believe as the people of God, we serve a generous God and he's called us to be generous. And his word is very practical in how we live this out. And so it should speak to every area of our life. And last week, we, we talked about giving. This week, I, I wanna dive in a little bit further because I think there's some other principles. Maybe answer a couple of questions. I didn't get a lot of questions in, but a couple of them that come in always in a series like this. And, and I'll, I'll go ahead and warn you at the beginning, this week it's very direct again. Maybe a little uncomfortable in places, that's okay. It's okay for the Bible to make us uncomfortable and for us to really wrestle with these topics because it's so important to how we live our lives. And so just to review real quickly, last week we talked about tithing and we said there's a clear pattern of tithing in scripture. And when I'm using that word tithing, the, the word tithe literally means 10%. And so we saw that clear pattern in scripture and we saw it from all the way back with Abraham and Jacob and then especially with the nation of Israel, they were called to three different tithes. Uh, a tithe to support the temple and the Levites, a tithe that supported the festivals and the nation and then a, a tithe every three years to support the poor. And so we, we saw this clear pattern throughout scripture. The question that we ask, is we live under a different covenant. In the New Testament, we're no longer one nation, all of it together. And so you have to be careful that you don't just apply what you see in that covenant directly to where we are as the church. We learn from it. You certainly don't ignore it. When I see a pattern that consistent through scripture, there's part of it that I go, yeah, I pay attention to that. But as we talked about last week, in the New Testament, giving's not based on or limited to the tithe. It's not based on or limited to. In fact, the, the key passage we looked at, the point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He's talking about your giving. He says, just, is, is the approach to your giving that I'm kind of thinking sparingly? And he goes, man, you're really limiting yourself because God wants to bless you through this. And this line, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each person at a heart level has to decide how they're gonna give. And, and, and we say that, and again, what I love about that, remember this new covenant that we're under, when he talked about the old covenant that Israel was under, he said it, it was laws written on stone tablets. It was laws that were written out that they lived according to that standard. 
And the tithing rules were part of those laws. The new covenant, he said, I'm gonna do a new covenant in you. And here's the radical thing he said he's gonna do. I'm gonna actually put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit's in us. And so at a heart level, God is changing us from the inside out and the Holy Spirit leads us. That's why Paul, instead of just appealing to a standard, he, he appeals to what's God doing in your heart? And hear me on this. If the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, I promise you he's moving in this area of giving too. Because as Jesus says, as scripture says, it's so fundamental to your heart. So the question is, are, are you listening to him? In fact, one, one of the key questions anytime I teach on giving came up again with this one. Here's the fundamental question I get asked by people. Do you tithe on the net or the gross of your income? It's a key question over and over. And, and, and again, the, you know, the question's kind of going, well, I'm paying taxes on that and that's social structure. And, that, and it does get hard because we live under such a different government than Israel and all that. Hear me. I, I, I go back to at a heart level, when I hear that question, even when we have that question, we're immediately going, can you just give me what the ceiling is so I know where I can stop? And, and Paul would look at it and go, hmm, that, that sounds like you're trying to sow as sparingly as you possibly could. Now you're, you're limiting yourself. And, and the more radical question, I would just put it back to, what's the Holy Spirit saying at a heart level? That, that a tithe doesn't even have to be a ceiling, whether it's net or gross. Of looking at it and going, where is he leading in this? So that's why I, I love that passage in Corinthians as well. When Paul said, uh, well, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, the love that we have kindled in you See that you excel in this grace of giving. He says, I want you to be excellent at this. I want you to grow in this. And, and the reality is most people, when, when you look at just the numbers of who gives, to be excellent at it, you're gonna need a plan that you're thinking I have a plan that giving is a core part of my life. It's not just this sporadic thing. We talked about that. We love to do sporadic. We're all generous sporadically. What scripture is teaching, whether it was through Israel, whether it's in the New Testament, what is my plan for how I'm gonna be generous? And the reality is if you look across America in most churches, I, th I think it's 27% of people who would say they are in a church and this is their, their church home and they're a part of it actually have a plan for what and how they'll give. I mean, the, the vast majority give, but it, it kind of just happens or it's sporadic. And as we talked about last week, when, when it's just sporadic, we can convince ourselves we're a lot more generous than we really are. And so as we, we look at that, one of the core things I'm gonna keep challenging you to, have you spent some time alone with God, with the Holy Spirit, to ask him, man, what are you calling me to give? And, and that's why I'm not worried about ceilings or floors or all that, because God will be more radical in your life than anyone else. And if you really open yourself and you go, yeah, I want to live and give according to that. 
Now, for me, as I, I said, when, when I look at a consistent pattern, like a tithe across scripture like that, for me, I go, okay, I think that's a good floor because I, I, I look at that, I wanna be a part of it, but I don't put that rule on you. But I would ask you, have you spent some time really thinking through, praying through, and getting honest with God about it? Another core part of this you see in scripture as well is the whole principle of first fruits. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. That's a different term for us because we're not an agrarian society. But what he's speaking about, and it's not just that they were called to a tithe, this percentage that they gave, a sacrifice with it. It was also what is the priority that giving places in your life? When you have a plan, have you prioritized in a way that meant giving really comes right, right out of the gate there. And I think about it. When, when the first fruits of Deuteronomy says as well, this is Moses, right for the people who are about to go into the land of promise. They've been slaves, they've been in the wilderness, they've not had anything of their own. He says, and behold, I bring you the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that your Lord your God has given you and to you and your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who's among you. Now what he's describing is this whole passage of Deuteronomy, they're about to go into this land of promise. And, and remember how he described it, he says, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Which in, in that world, remember they didn't have stock markets or anything else, everything was agrarian. So a land flowing with milk and honey, God says, you're about to have your socks blessed off. You're about to go into one of the most fertile regions. I'm about to just bless you as a people. And as you come into that land, and every year when you have a crop, first fruit, farmers always are looking for the first fruit because when they see that first fruit come out of the ground, when they see that first part of the harvest come up, there's this sense of relief like, oh, there's more to follow. And the Israelites would go and they would look for the, the strongest and the best of that first fruit and they would tie something around it and they would say, this is the part I'm giving to God. Because the whole is from him. But right out of the gate, I give the first fruit. And in fact, this passage in Deuteronomy, there, there's actually what they would say. They'd had a whole festival around it and they would come and bring the first fruits. And he commands them. He says, when you come, and the head of the household would do this, he would come and he would say, my father Abraham was a wandering Aramean. It says that in scripture. In other words, he had no land to claim as his own. But God has blessed us with land. God has blessed us with this crop. And so we give this, this first fruit in recognition of all that he's given. Th this principle was so ingrained. When you read the New Testament, Paul uses the same analogy when he's describing Jesus' resurrection. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit for us. The fact that he raised from the dead is a sign that we're gonna raise. We're the crop to follow. And, and so when he said it to his audience, they immediately, they were like, oh, yes, I get that. And, and that sign of what Christ has done. You'll see this, and, and I think it's an important principle. You see this principle of, am I even thinking about my giving out of the first fruits? Am I looking at the whole that he gave me and as he has given, 
I give to it. Here's a question I would have. Our priorities reveal whether I'm giving first fruits or last fruits. Is it, is it the first because I've been blessed or is it the last because, well, that's when I think about it. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We, we looked at this. this. This is kind of the order most of us live and we, the money we live on is for me now. And the money I save is for me in the future. And the money I have debt is for me yesterday because I got it yesterday, I'm paying on it now. And the money for taxes is for me to stay out of jail. And then the final part, the money I give is for God and others. I have a heart to God and I wanna share with others and be a part of the world. And the reality, when, it, when I told you that 27%, the reality is the 73%, this is kind of the order of life. Doesn't mean that they're not giving at all, but the order of life is kind of after I've lived and paid all my bills and then I need to save and you should save. Scripture calls you to that. And then I, you know, I've got some debt and then I've, I've got taxes. I, I kind of see what's, what's left. And out of what's left, what can I give? What, what would it look like if we change the order? See, instead of just giving out of last fruits, I'm thinking first fruits. Right out of the gate, I go, you know what? I'm planning for my giving because I, I don't wanna just feel generous. I don't wanna be sporadically generous. I actually wanna grow. I wanna get excellent as a generous person. And to get excellent with it, I gotta have a plan. I don't have a plan, it, it doesn't happen or it happens with what remains. It's one of the things when, when Paul's given some counsel to the church in Corinth about their giving. He, he said to them, he said to choose to honor God from the whole instead of what's left. Now about the collection of the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, your collection will have been made. He's just saying, hey, first day of the week, you're at worship there, you're thinking about it. He gives them as a marker and he goes, hey, you're thinking about it right out of the gate instead of at the end of the line. And, and so we, we look at it and we go, how do I honor God from the whole of what he's given me? Not just what's left after I've done everything else with it. Now again, I would encourage you, that's why it's so important when we talked about that stewardship message, that's why when, when I say that God cares about the whole, if we're not stewarding the whole well, it really limits what we can even think about giving. And so if I'm not budgeting well, if I'm wasting so much, I don't have that much more for the kingdom. If, I, if I'm not thinking about saving, I find myself in a place of dependency, I can't do that much more. It's all integrated together. But I do think there's a key principle as, as you look through this, as you think about it. If, if I don't prioritize my giving, it will always drift down. For me and, and for our practice, I, I tell you, one of the things that helps me the most is auto draft. It just does. I, I love setting it up because as soon as I get paid, it can go out. Giving is, is right there, it can go out and it just helps me I am so much more consistent. And so anything, missionaries, people are supporting, all those parts of it, the church, I set it up with that. Because here's another thing that helps me. I'll just be honest with you guys. The longer money sits in my account, the more it starts feeling like my money and greater sacrifice. I, I don't know, it's just psychological. Like, like I have it and I'm sitting there on it and I'm like, okay, I need to give. And the longer it's there, like, it's like, oh, I need to give God my money. 
which is the exact opposite, isn't it? It's no, I, I want to give because I recognize God gave me all of this. And my giving is just a reflection of that. And so it, it, it just helps me. Now, I know some of you, 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 you know, some of you are structured in a way you can only give once a year or that. There's no rule about it that says, oh, you have to do it exactly this way. Here's what I would say, whether it's once a year, once a month, whether you're doing it right with that. Have you sat down though and, and in your heart you go, yeah, I'm gonna make my plan for giving go to the top of the line. Because I really want what I give to God and what I give to others and what I share to really be a reflection of my heart and my life. That it's a first fruit that I market in that way. I, I tell you this principle where, where I saw it probably the most dramatically. If you ever travel overseas and I've had the opportunity to preach and be in other churches, I'll never forget one time I was preaching in Rwanda. Um, and this was years ago when Rwanda, the economy was that much more devastated. It's grown so much because of good leadership there. But we were in Rwanda and we were out in the countryside. Kigali already has issues. But when you get out to the countryside, the level of poverty. And I was in this church and, and the church is, is open and all the people, I mean, they're packed out in there and they open kind of the windows, these shutter windows all the way down the line. I'll never forget at one point, I'm sitting there preaching and I looked and this cow has stuck its head in the door. And then for like 20 minutes, just sat there listening to the whole thing. In fact, the cow told me later the sermon was very moving. Yeah, it really did. Um, <laughs> I can't resist a dad joke, you know, sitting there. And it's, it's a long service. I mean, two, three hours. And, and one of the core parts of the service is the offering. I'll never forget. The pastors, they said, it's time for the offering and the music and the celebration. And then they came down front and they put a big basket right in the center. And then everybody gets up and they come to bring their offering. But they don't just bring it, you know, not like this. They're dancing and singing a lot of it, it's kind of in their hands. You don't know exactly what they're giving. For a lot of them, some of them are bringing fruit. Because that's all they have. They just have food for the week. I'll never forget one woman came down. She was so excited. And some would give testimony with it. And she had a bowl of rice. And she put the bowl of rice in the offering. And then she wanted to give testimony. And, and she, she, she said her words and then they translated. She said, I am so excited today because I didn't think I would have anything to give. And God provided something for me to give. Notice what she didn't say. She didn't say, I'm so excited because I didn't have anything to eat because that was the reality. But she looked at it and goes, oh, God's given me rice. God's given me some food. Oh, praise God, I get to give. I get to be a part of it. I'm telling you, you watch a setting like that. You watch people like that. And questions about net or gross or some of the things that we get all caught up in. You start looking at it, you go, why, why do I even think that way? 
God, move in my heart like this. I want this to be a priority in my life. As I say that, the other question that really comes up is where do I give? Where do I give? And there's a lot of debate. Do I give to the church? Do I give to other charities? Do I give a percentage? Do I give those parts with it? And and I've done a lot of research, a lot of disagreement out there. Um, Usually between churches and charities, (laughs) believe it or not. And, and you see a, a lot for, for, many, uh, for many of us, we practice that, that core giving, give to the church in that, and then give on top of that. For many people that practice the, the 10%, the tithe that they do, many of them, they give that 10%, they feel a, a gift to the church because that's their core ministry out of it. And then they give to ministries on top of it. Some, there's a, a mix in it. And a church like us, where, where when you give here and also Faith Promise, we're doing things around the world. All those things come together. Again, I, I want to go back to a heart issue though. And look at what does scripture say? Now, a core thing that you see, we have a responsibility to support the church and to help those in need. You see both those in scripture. We have a responsibility. I mean, you can't read through the whole system, even in the Old Testament system. The first tithe was to support the Levites, to support the work of the temple. God said, so that you can come and worship there. But then they had the further tithes on top of that to support those who are in need. The ministries outside of that. There was no social system then. That's where it gets a little more complicated because we give taxes and there's social system with it. But there's a responsibility that we carry in that that God is looking for us to help. And as you look at that, a number of passages, Romans 12, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's the church family, you contribute to the needs that are here. And to show hospitality, that's, hospitality means love of strangers. And so you're helping people who are outside of the church, that you see both of those things. If you look early on in the church, in the book of Acts, it's interesting, Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4, there's this revival going on and people are coming to Christ. And it it says in that, man, people are are selling property and they're giving to the church and nobody has need. They're taking care of each other in this, this new movement that's happened. And sometimes I'll hear from people that go, yeah, that's how it should be. It just, you know, it was just all organic and giving in that way. And I look at them and go, no, even in the book of Acts, you get to Acts four and five already, people are selling. And what does it say? They brought the money to the feet of the apostles to be distributed. They go, let's bring it to the church in this structure so that it can be used for the sake of the ministry in that. By the time you get to Acts seven, they go, man, we need to appoint deacons. Their widows are starving, certain groups on that. We'll have organizational structure of those who will help take care of this need. You go to the, later on in Acts, we're taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. It's the doctrinal center out of that. There's teaching, but an offering that supports that. You, you can see it throughout that. In fact, Paul reaches a point later when he's writing the churches And he describes it and he says, yeah, there needs to be a support system. If you're gonna have pastors, if you're gonna have those who've dedicated themselves, we don't have Levites anymore, we don't have that system. But if you're gonna have pastors and and that's what they're doing, they're they're serving, they're involved in it, they're giving their life to it, you need to support that. Look how he puts it. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Say, I'm not coming up with this on my own. 
Does not the law say the same thing? It is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That was a law that when the ox was pulling that grindstone and it was treading out the grain, they weren't allowed to put a muzzle on the ox because as the grain fell on the ground, the, the, the principle of the law, if the ox is working there, don't starve him. Don't just work him to death. He should be able to partake. Now, Paul's applying it here. And I, I don't really love the analogy because he's calling pastors the ox. But it's, it's the same principle out of that. There should be a support with that. Does he not spurt, certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope, the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If, if we have sown spiritual things among you, if we're doing the spiritual work, is it too much if we reap material things from you? This is straightforward expectation. It's one of the things I love about Paul. He never dances around it. Some places Paul worked, he says, hey, I'll work here with it. Other places he says, yes, we need support. And I think it's sometimes as pastors, we don't like talking about it because I recognize it. this is support for us. In the same way though, if I'm gonna teach the, all of scripture, just speak about it in a straightforward way. He says it in Galatians 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so as you, as you recognize and look through that, this, this rec recognition of there's a sense of responsibility. I take care of the needs. Needs are created here. There's a need in our life. There's a need for those who, who dedicate themselves to that and that we're a part of that. And, and, and especially for those of us who God has blessed in this world, there's a lot in scripture about this. In particular, he's looking at us, he calls us the rich. And Paul says the same thing to the rich. We've looked at this passage. The rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. We're not above anyone. Don't set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. There's a responsibility in that. Man, we're ready to share. We're ready to be generous in that. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, you, you may read this passage and you go, I'm not rich, Tim. Uh, it, it depends on how you're defining it. And I hate to break to you, if you look in human history of the people who've ever walked on this planet, we're some of the most blessed people. And God doesn't ever say, oh, you're blessed, you feel guilty. No, but in our gratitude, we also have a sense of responsibility. God, is there a reason that you've blessed me so much and you're giving me the opportunity to bless that much more? To give to my church because I wanna be a part of what God's doing there. To give, to give to the movement around the world. I wanna support these regions and these works and the things that we're a part of. That's one of the reasons I love being in an outwardly facing church because I give here and it's a part of all of that. It's doing work not only here and in the lives here, it's doing work across the Bay Area and all the ministries and connects. It's doing work around the world. I just, I love being a part of that and supporting that because I, I feel a sense of responsibility. But guys, I would hope you're not just giving out of responsibility alone. I, I, more than anything, I would hope vision and passion for his kingdom should motivate and direct our giving. 
a, a vision for what God's doing. I hope your heart's captured in it. And, and you know, sometimes you get asked, well, do you have to support your church? And my question would always be, why would you want to go to a church that you wouldn't want to support? Honestly. I mean, if you're in a place that, that the vision of the place hasn't captured you, if you don't believe that God's moving there and doing things there, not just your money, why your attendance? Because remember all of this, our hearts are, are captured in this. And so a, a vision is, is our vision grows. And this is one of the reasons I think it's so important that you get some time alone with the Holy Spirit, that you're not just talking about what you give, but you start praying about God. And where are you moving? And there's certain things that you have a passion for, certain things that tear your heart that he's made you in. And it directs in that. As, as you give to his kingdom, I, I would hope that God's moving, that you're not only attending here, but you're giving here because God's moved in your heart for the vision of who he's called us to be as a church. A vision for a church that sees itself as a mission outpost to reach the Bay Area. We see ourselves uniquely here because we've got people coming from all over the world that no one else is ever gonna reach. Even people in their country, missionaries in their country can't reach them. And we get to live next to them and we get to work and we get equipped in this place to reach out to them. I would hope that you're excited about giving to a church that's grounded on the gospel because we absolutely believe nothing changes a life other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we consistently preach it. I hope you're excited about being a church that always teaches the Bible because we absolutely believe unwaveringly, no matter what else happens in the culture, people need the truth. They need to hear the truth because the truth sets them free. I hope you would want to be in a church, yes, that, that is outwardly thinking about how do we reach the world globally and locally and generationally, that we are looking, how do we make a difference for the kingdom all across this planet, but all across this Bay Area and all across the generations, that we're investing in our kids and the future, that we believe God's doing something in your, this place that's the passion I would hope would grab your heart that you couldn't fathom not supporting the church that not only has your attendance, but it has your heart, it has your service and it has a mission to the world. And then on top of that, hear me, God's gonna move in your heart in your way. You're gonna be torn in certain ways that some of you, you have a heart for the, the unborn and so you go and you serve and you give to a partner like Real Options and we give as a church to that. Or, or you look at the homeless and addiction problems. So you, you see a, a group like City Team and you serve and you, you're a part of it and you give to that. Or you see a, a regions of the world. You, you see human trafficking. You, you, you see work in India. Or you see lack of education in Nigeria. All, all these different places that your heart moves See, my, my prayer would be, and I think the more that we really bring this to God as he stirs in us, it's constantly driven by this sense of vision and passion that I can't imagine not being a part of it. That I start looking at it and go, I think this might be why God has blessed me so much. And I, I want to be in that. And, and sometimes God, God will lay something radical in your heart. I remember some friends of mine this is several years ago, a different church. They came to me, younger couple. They had little kids. 
But they said, you know, God has blessed us. He's a financial planner and that. And he goes, I've started been planning. And you know, we, we really believe and they believed very much that God called them to tithe. So they gave 10% of the church, no matter what. They didn't even think about it. That was part. But then they said, you know what? God's been stirring in our hearts about we, we want to be a part of something more even. And so we started praying, God, what is it you called us to? And here's what they said. We really feel like more than anything, God's called us to support marriage and family. How do we invest in marriage and family? And we prayed about it and we think God's calling us to give a million dollars to organizations, to groups that are supporting marriages and family. And I looked at him because he was young and I was like, dude, you have more resources than I realize. And here's what he said, oh, we don't have the million. But we just did the math. Over the next 40 years, on top of our regular giving, if we just did 25,000 a year, which we think God is gonna provide and call to, we think over 40 years, we can give a million dollars to that. And I, I looked at it, I was like, oh. See, that's a couple, they're not just like, oh, sporadically. They, they were like, man, we, we feel passionate about this. We feel called to it. Now, as I said to him, I go, hey, and I, I got him in line with, we talked to several, this, this group's doing this work, this group's doing this work. And here's what I reminded him. There's no group impacting marriage and family more than the local church. I'll just say it unequivocally. And they step back and they go, you know, we do think we should invest more even in this place. Do you have a vision? Do you have a passion that's drawing you proactively because you have a plan for being a part of it? Now, as I say all this, there's three common objections I hear from people, especially when we talk about supporting your church. Three common objections. The first one, I like giving to needs and there's no need here at the church. I like giving a need and they're not, no, you, you hear it and, and I get it. I mean, you walk in, you go, there's Los Gatos, we got a pretty campus. And you, you, you see the different parts and so you go, yeah, I, I like really giving to, to something that's more need with that. Now, one, I, I just, we've, we've already walked through, there's, there's a sense of responsibility we all have. Can, can I just say, every church has needs. In fact, if one person shows up, we have needs. And that person created it. There's a need to teach, there's a need campus, there's a need for kids, there's a need for insurance, there's a need for all the different parts. In fact, you coming today created more need. It did. And we're thrilled. We hope the needs explode. Because we know what happens in that interaction. But you, you just, you're gonna have to be honest with yourself. It's not that there's no need, it's that somebody else is covering it. That's the reality. Somebody else has said, hey, I wanna make sure, I wanna be a part of all that's happening in this place. And so I, I would just encourage you. Now, again, I know where the brain goes because you can kind of go, yeah, but there's a lot of rich people here. They can cover it. You'd be surprised if you look at it, and, and I don't know what anybody gives here, by the way. We, we keep it that way. We have a very small team that, that, because I don't ever want to be influenced by that. But if you look at numbers, some of the people that make the least are the ones who sacrifice the most. Because God's captured their heart in their way. I wish it was just like a demographic. You go, man, once somebody makes the, 
It, it just doesn't play that way because money can grab our hearts so much. And, and so as you, you look at that, don't convince yourself, well, oh, somebody else, it, it's easy for them. No, it's a sacrifice for everyone. And for all of us that we go, yeah, I wanna be a part of meeting in this place and being a part of this place. As I say that as well, a lot of people say, I don't like giving to institutions. I don't like giving to institutions, especially generationally. The younger generations, you can, you can almost track it from the, the builders to the boomers that as it keeps going down generationally, you, you, you hear from people, I don't like giving to institutions. I don't wanna give to overhead. I don't wanna give to an organization. I, I, I like that, that direct and I'm that and I'm, I'm part of it. And, and I get that thinking, I'll just say for me, I think the exact opposite way. And the older I get, the more. And here's why. I've been around this long enough and I've worked enough with charities and churches and have seen the impact around the world. I've looked at studies. A great book you ought to read is a, a book called When Helping Hurts. That a lot of times that in our effort, because we want to feel good and we want to do something direct, we want to do something quick, that we can rush in and we can give and we do and we do more damage. And you'll see that groups and money comes in and then it comes in real quick and then it pulls out and it'll devastate an area. There was quick charity money and all the businesses went out of business because they couldn't compete with it and then the charity's gone. Or you give to somebody directly or you're enabling. There's so many things if you go through the study on it, the more I've looked at it, what I'm always wanting to give to is effectiveness. Is this group effective at what they're doing? Are they effective in long-term results? And to be effective takes infrastructure. It takes organizations. It, it takes somebody who's working on it all the time. In fact, we hear this with the regions we work. Anytime we go into a new area, you know what the question they ask us over and over again? Are you gonna stay? Are you gonna stay? Because we've seen too many come in and they leave. This is one of the reasons as a church, when you ask us, man, why did we pick key regions around the world that we go really deep in? We do that on purpose because we want to stay. We want to go find partners that we know are effective in that. And we want to come and partner alongside. And we want to be there not just this year or next year. We want to be there for decades. We want to see effective change over that. To do that takes an organization, takes an institution. It takes accountability. I watch what our teams do now of, as they track the dollars, as they make sure, did that dollar actually go to that bank? Did it actually go to that ministry? Are they actually doing what they said they were gonna do with it? That takes a lot of accountability. And the more I've seen that, I've gotten very wary when I don't see structure around something. And I don't wanna just give in the moment. I wanna make sure everything I'm giving is affecting change and has long-term accountability with that. Now, I will say, I do evaluate some institutions, organizations. If they're sitting on huge endowments, I'm less inclined. In fact, I, it, it's humorous to me. I'll talk to some people, they won't give a dime to a church, but they scratch a check every year to their alma mater. Many of which are sitting on billion dollar endowments. And I look at it and go, that's fine. You need to know as a church, we have a commitment here. 
We don't want to sit on money. In fact, as an elder board, it's one of the things we consciously, we looked at, and even this last year we evaluated, what's the least amount of money that we would need to keep to go, okay, that's wise, we asked industry standards with that. And then above that, how do we get it out there? Let's get it in action. Because we don't want to be a church that one day we're resting on money. We always want to rest on God. And we think you gave the money to put it in action. That's why during COVID, when we really went lean, but you kept giving generous, we looked at that amount and, and, and we said, hey, we don't want to sit on that amount. And so we're doing a full renovation of the children's building, huge capital project. And we've not asked you for a dollar because we didn't have to, you already gave. And we don't ask for money when we don't need money. But when we have money, we believe God says, get it out there. Be a part of it and make it happen. That's a key thing of what God's called us to do. Let me give you one final objection I hear. I like intervening directly to solve a problem. And that, that's where that spread. I see a problem, I like intervening. It feels good. There was a problem here and we solved it. And you can measure it at times. And again, I like doing that as well. But so much of this, and, and this is very much an American way, we think this way. We like intervention a lot more than prevention. But think about your health. Think about your health. You're kind of cooking along with your health and then you have a medical problem and you go to the doctor to get the problem solved. You intervention. Man, doctor, I need you to intervene. And then the doctor looks at you and says, you know, this could have been prevented. You know, if you, and, and you're like, yeah, doc, I'm an American. I don't like prevention. I like intervention. Just solve the problem. And we do the same thing a lot of times in our giving. We're, we're always just, oh, what's the problem that we can solve with it? As opposed to stepping back and going, man, what's the problem that could have been prevented that never happened? Now it's harder to measure because how do you measure a problem that never happened because it was prevented? But hear me on this, and this is where I'll just church, when I talk about giving to church, this is why I'm passionate about giving and the bulk of mine goes through it. I think the church is the most preventative organization that's ever existed on this planet. And it's not just the problems that we get to solve. And you know us as a church, we're meeting real needs out there, but I start thinking about it day in, day out, how many problems never sprung up because of the week in, week out ministry that happens in this place? How much pain and heartache and dysfunction was avoided because people came to Jesus and their life was changed by his truth? How many marriages never got in the ditch because people aligned to what the word was saying about marriage and they built their whole home on that? How many kids never derailed their lives because in a Sunday school class, Jesus grabbed their heart and they had the privilege of being trained week in, week out on the truth of God's word and it became a part of their life and their character. How many men and women, they have purpose and meaning because their lives got saturated in truth. The problem never formed because God used his church to make a difference. That's why I, I love that verse when Jesus took his disciples in, in Caesarea 
And he's standing there and he says, I'm gonna build my church. Remember what he said? The gates of hell won't stand against it. You may not realize it. That city was a pagan city. And there's a mountainside there. And where he was standing, there were 12 pagan temples. They had deep history all the way to Baal worship and then Pan worship and the Greeks. And one of the temples had this deep spring that they said went to the heart of the earth. And it was literally called the gates of hell. And they would sacrifice children and animals and things throughout the years. It was, it was the worst form of paganism possible. I think there's a reason Jesus took his little band of disciples and he went and stood in front of the pagan temples and the gates of hell itself. And he says, I'm gonna build my church through you guys. And there's nothing you see over there that can stand against it. And for 2000 years, he has been building his church. And for those of us who've had the privilege and the joy to support the ministry of this place, you know this, you talk about effective giving. I love giving anything that makes hell afraid because their defenses can't stand against it. That's the vision that captures my heart. So as we finish out, let me, let me just call you to some action plan. One, I, I wanna call some of you, put a stake in the ground and prioritize your giving first. Go ahead and put a stake in there. And, and here's all I mean, that you just go, you know what? I'm tired of living this sporadically. I'm getting a plan. And I, I've said that God and others are first in my life. My giving's gonna reflect that. And, and then with that, just ask God how much he's calling you to consistently give. Ask him. I don't have to manipulate you. I don't have to put, put you ask him. Because I believe we actually have a living Holy Spirit. And when you start really spending time with him, he speaks in these ways. Ask him. And maybe you look at it and you go, man, Tim, I could, I, where my budget is, just figure out whatever it is consistent. Maybe it's 1% right now. Maybe it's 2%. Just get something consistent that you go, I'm prioritizing and build. This isn't a guilt-based thing. This is a freedom thing. And, and then the final part of it, examine where you're giving based on your responsibility and your passion. Man, examine that and go, man, am I giving division? Am I giving to what's feeding my family and a part of it? Am I giving to what breaks my heart? I, I just, for each of you, if you would take some time today or this week and really work through these things, I promise you God will lead in this and it will make a difference. Let's take a moment. I just, I'm gonna close this out in prayer. This will be, just be the final part of our service and close out. This is pretty direct and heavy, but it's also so freeing. And so let's go to God with it. Father, I come and I do thank you. I thank you, Jesus. What you started 2000 years ago is impacting my life today. I thank you for all the untold stories that we don't know of what was prevented over the last 2000 years. I thank you for the lives that were rescued. I thank you for the marriages that were saved. I thank you for the children who found meaning and hope. I thank you for men and women who know that their, their, their time on this planet has a purpose. I thank you that you rescued us from the horrors of hell. That Jesus, because you sacrificed, 
because you were the first fruit who rose from the dead, we know we will rise too. And so Lord, I I pray for each of us here. I I pray for each person in this place more than than guilt or any of the other things that kind of can weigh on our mind, more than just our own kind of sense of frustration. Would your spirit speak to each one of us? Lord, I pray we just spend some time with you at a heart level. And that through that movement, you would bring freedom and hope and life. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.